Ngārua Wahia, heart of the Waikato and home of the Kingitanga. Today, Waikato Tainui is known as one of the most prosperous iwi in the country, but it hasn't always been this way. The raupatu or confiscation of millions of acres of tribal territory during the land wars of the 1860s saw the tribe become almost landless in their own rohe. For us, being raupatu land, it's about us gaining back what we had lost, so the whenua and everything that comes with the whenua, all the learnings, all the skills that we're developing to help our family to become leaders in this field. Papakainga for me is about us looking after each other so that we can look after others and also it's about tuku iho. Mm. So this land found us as far as I'm concerned, so we're now looking after it so that it can find others too. And whether that means in the material world or whatever world, you know, doesn't mean to say that thing, but it's about us trying to look after ourselves so that we can look after And to me, Papa Kain has been far no order for us looking after ourselves, looking after our family. We definitely believe in that Papa far no order. Tēnā koutou katoa, naumai haere mai ki te Indigenous Urbanism, Aotearoa edition, episode 11. On this episode of Indigenous Urbanism, we visit the Rangabedwa whānau nō Tainui, who brought back their ancestral land in Ngārua Wahia and have worked together as a whānau to re-establish Papakainga. We spoke with mother and son whānau project team, Trevor and Poppy Ranga. Yeah, we were like a team. She took care of the, well, the social behaviours and I took care of the technical aspects. Yeah. Nazari Mihaire, nor Tufare Toa Rawa Kul Tainui, is our special reporter for this story. Kia ora, Trevor Takiwinga, uh, no Kafia Moana Hou, e Nohoana Ki uh, Narawahia. So in 2007, we had dreams to come together and work together as a whanau to um, stop the fragmentation that was happening in terms of our whanau structure, our whanau order. We were on our own individual ventures trying to pretty much establish ourselves in the mainstream and there was a couple of incidents or issues that arose when we went to go and purchase our own homes and it just wasn't panning out for us. At the time there were so many barriers in the way that we needed to uh, look at how we were trying to achieve those home ownership goals. So we were gifted this whenua, well we say it's gifted because we were up against so many other people including developers but the ex-homeowners really liked us and our vision and what we wanted to bring here was all about families and communities. Yeah, so that was pretty much what got us here. We ended up going through a, a, like a pilgrimage and going looking at the possibilities on how we managed to obtain it. And when we did some background and some whakapapa mahi, we found out that our tūpuna, they had uh, mana whenua over the land here. And how we found out is by that hall over there, there was a pass site up on the hill there and I was called Pukiyahu, and so that's where one of our tūpuna had settled, eh, Mum? And that's where the name Narawa Wahia come from, that hill. Mm. You've mentioned that we are standing on a papakainga. Do you want to explain to those of us who don't know what a papakainga is, what a papakainga is? Yeah, there's lots of understandings around papakainga, but for us it's about whanaungatanga. It's about connecting as a whanau again, re-establishing some tikanga, some new ways of coping, really, in the ever-changing world, really, that's happening. Things are moving so fast, we tend to get caught up in the grind of everyday life. So with us being here together, we can keep each other grounded, build relationships, and also have our own space while we're here. 
And also for us, Papa Kainga is about Papa, which is the foundation, and building their foundation. And then the Kainga is like the Kai and how we eat it. Oh, this is my own interpretation. So it's about looking after our resources. And how does that look? Well, got to look at how you use it, how you grow it, nurture it, manaki it. So yeah, that's what Papa Kainga is for us. Now that we're walking down the Papa Kainga, how did you guys get your street name, Ani Away? Yeah, it wasn't actually a long journey to get there. Eh? <laughs> it was a bit was a bit of common sense, I suppose. It was, because we originally were told, go and get the Māori name, the history and that, and find a name for that. So we were told to go to the king and ask for him to give a name. But the long journey to get to the king when during a period of illness was thing. So that's what I talk about long. But then common sense happened too after through all that, all those learnings, you know. And when I say common sense, I thought it was quite witty, actually, yeah. Yeah, so the name come from pretty much, there was actually three influential women that helped to make this happen. This Papa Kainga was my wife, Pania Ranga, and my sister, Tania Bidwa, and our lawyer, Mania Hope. So they had a bit of a similarities happening with their names, so we just dropped their front letters and made it Ani Away. So, yeah, that's how we come up with the name, Ani Away. Yeah, so we were quite lucky on how we ended up with this right away. Uh, we had a few engineering hiccups. It's around traffic movement and safety for the kids. So how we got around it is by creating driveways or areas on the, as you can see, you can manoeuvre on there so you can reverse, not reversing out onto the right way. As you know, a lot of kids get run over by reversing vehicles. So we did turning bays on our sections. Same over here. We try not to park on our street if we can so that it's safe. As we walk, do you want to give us a description on who lives in what property and what's it like living with your whanau on a papakainga <laughs> and whether or not you guys have those potluck dinners and that kind of event, do you guys have specific whanau events? Just that kind of stuff. Yeah, so in the cottage here we've got mum's sister, my auntie. She's your, what's your third youngest sister? She's number four in the family of 12. She's got a granddaughter there with her, living with her. It's a two-bedroom cottage. Originally that's where I was but it's more fitting that they stay there. She was living down there, yeah. So I'm really awesome. One of the concepts of our Papa Kainga is, uh, like we say, look after our own, and so my children and their partners have decided that there's a space for my sister in the Moko, and that's what we're about. I think she's been in the most wonderful place for a long, long time. Mm. So we know that to our right there's a 100-year-old villa. Yep. Uh, was that dwelling that your auntie lives in built around the same time? Or? No, that was built in the uh, 90s, 90s as an uh, auxiliary flat to the, the main... To the main oh, as the oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. So this used to be a driveway we were walking down to. Used to turn into the shed here, but we just carried it on. Just because oh, it was down the middle of the our Used to be property. stables here before we... Yeah, it yeah. used to be a horse um, track, racetrack yeah. around here. Mm. Mm. So this is an auxiliary to that there, so that's 20 and that's 20A. And that's 20B. <laughs> Of course. Yes. Cool. So 20B is when you started the new developments for the dwellings? Yeah, that's oh, yeah. right. Yeah, so these two homes are now one title, one the cottage and 20B. Oh. So we took that off this side and, yeah, put it on that yeah. side. Because that's the way you could get that whareria, yeah, one yeah. of the council things. Yeah, so mm. the ruling is around how many dwellings you can have on one title. We managed to keep that on the title just because of the size of the lot. 
that we're able to what achieve What was the there. size? Uh, so nothing less than 900 square metres. You can have two dwellings of those sizes. Yeah, so it was about maximising the land. Yeah, well done. But not being detrimental to how we live. We need our space and to grow. Yeah, so to the right is the original home here, the homestead. We've got a whanau here, that whakapapa back to Kafia. And then my mum stays in number two, Aniawe. That's a four bedroom home. And then, uh, yeah, then my sister over here in 20B with her husband and her daughter. Is that a four bedroom as well? or is Yeah, that... that's a four bedroom, yeah. Her intention is to have more children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we've designed the homes on how we would want them, not to how our funders would want them. <laughs> Yeah, so this is uh, number one, Aniwe. This is um, my whare, me and my wife and my four kids. That's a five bedroom. Okay, and whose lovely house are we standing outside of now? So this is number six, Aniwe. This is my mother-in-law, my sister-in-law, my nephew, and another nephew and another niece. Ooh, so we've left a spot there for a building that we're not quite sure what's going <laughs> to A multifunctional building where the caravan is. Yeah, we've left the space there. Might food. be a learning centre, mm. might be a CrossFit box, a yeah. gym or whatever, yeah. Order, yeah. Yeah. So what was the typical process that you and your whanau went through when actually securing the land and then building? We did a lot of rangahau, looking at council records, doing all the limb reports, zoning rules and all those things to build up a bit of a papakainga plan really. But at the time we didn't know that that's what you needed to do to for let's say step one of a papakainga. Had no idea. Okay, you know, we, we, <laughs> we came down to we had a plan. Yeah. And final order, and not all its uh, what it could offer us, helped us to make that plan and to define and actually look at our housing aspirations. But in actual fact, it is our final aspirations, yeah. Phase one was really just developing our whānau plan and then phase two was compiling all our information so we can take our proposal to whoever's out there that's got the opportunities and at that time uh, Shu was looking for a whānau that were at what they call readiness stage and we were ready to go, we had everything signed really, all our agreements, our contracts, everything that's involved in a project, yeah we were ready to go. So we're at what we call phase three. So we've built four homes and what we're doing now is we're going through like a monitoring of the performance of the homes. We've still got another three phases to go where we're looking at doing what we call backyard sustainability, gardens, marakai, landscaping, all those kind of things. But to get there, we need to know how our homes are performing on our, how we've designed the homes. So we've positioned them in a way that we've got taken full advantage of the, the sun, orientated them, uh, positioned them. and Colours, uh, yeah. everything, yeah. So Sustainable. We have, yeah, yeah, so that's part of one of our actions that we did before we even took our plans to council, is that we worked out our landscaping designs and all that stuff. We haven't quite gotten there yet, like I said, we're just still monitoring how things are where the sunlight is for our planting and uh, water usage and all those kind of things. We're going to start putting in fencing and all those kind of Fence assets. Fencing is the mowing part. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's how that one mows the lawn. It's not as short as the other, but never mind. Yeah, so we're going to look at our spatial design, creating privacy zones and all those kind of areas. Yeah, so we're in phase three at the moment. Just still monitoring things and what we can do better, take the learnings. We've still got three more empty sections that we wanted to build on. 
It's about the past, the present and the future. If you can incorporate those three things into your design and your planning, I think the papakaina will be more achievable and sustainable because you're covering so much that's needed. Sounds like a lot of what you guys done, you've done together as a whanau. Was that hard to establish in the beginning? I know you guys talk a lot about mm. whanau order and everything, so do you want to give us a bit of a picture of what your whanau order looks like in action? Yeah, basically we just throw everything on the table really, mm -hmm. lay out all the cards and if anyone's got an opinion they start picking away mm. at it just to get clarification on the table you know like we've got to leave that table with a full understanding on what's actually going on but we've got a diverse range of understandings yeah. in our family yeah. from a nurse through to mm. uh, teacher, kaumata, mm. so we cover it quite well. Mm. So we try and come from each and every angle so that we don't um, leave a mm. stone unturned, so to speak. You have to have a driver. You have to have a driver and someone with a vision. And for a long time, Trevor and I carried that driver and vision. He had the vision, I continued to drive, then we drive together. And in fact, Trevor's wife, our daughter and son-in-law, they trusted us with our decisions, you know, but that's not true, not talking about it. Sometimes it was hard to share the vision, eh, son? But, hey, they trusted us, and so we had to make sure that they continued trusting us, eh? Yeah, mm. yeah, it was about their communication. Yeah, it was definitely Being, communication. Yeah. yeah, so the journey is that we have a plan, we communicate, find what the aspirations are and how we're going to get there. But, oh, my gosh, when it came to form filling, I hated it, you know, but, hey, we did it, yeah. So you become creative, you know, and then you realise the skills that we do have. But we also know the boundaries and limits of each other now, you know, very much so. <laughs> it's awesome to see that you guys haven't just stopped at building houses, you know, like you guys have obviously got a plan for the future and you both are just running for it. Mm. It's, mm. it's awesome to see that your whanau are all in on it too. You should have yeah. seen when our um, umbrella CEOA saw our plan was on wallpaper and it had all the things, yeah. But all those various categories, they decided to put it under housing. So that's how we came about doing housing under Fano order. And they're so interrelated, eh? We always maintain, put a roof over here, families can bloom, blossom, yeah. Without doing this proper kind, we would never have been able to do it as a Fano. Could probably do it individually, but not as a Fano. And I think that's the real important of this, is, it, is the Fano order, the well-being that's still striving for. Mm. So is everyone in these properties homeowners or are some of them rented? Yeah, so we pretty much all rent really, even myself. Mm. Uh, we rent mm. to the trust. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, actually we don't rent, we just pay the mortgage. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. Otherwise I would be somewhere paying someone else. So why, I consider myself helping my children to achieve the dream that I have and that they, they share too, you know, so. It's about monarchy each other, and financially we can do that. Mm. Yeah, so just talking about the trust, so the trust is myself, my wife, my sister and her husband, the Ranga Birwa Family Trust. So we come together just so that we could combine our resources really and work together and cover the areas that needs to be covered to achieve mm. something like this and continue on uh, the management, asset management side of it. But it's not just about affordable, uh, well actually we don't like to use the word affordable housing, it's more cost effective housing. 
We want to make affordable living, so the way we've done things is that now we're going to start incorporating plants and marakai. We've used cost-effective lighting, keep all the day-to-day the -day living costs down, power and all those kind of things. Making money work for you rather than you work for money, you know. So we'll come together as a whānau and we'll pool our resources and to me that collectively we can help each other, yeah. One of the main things that really stands out to us is the different generations that actually occupy these homes. Mm. So it would be lovely to hear what you think, how this has benefited your whānau, especially coming from a generation where your living situation growing up may have been different. And then it will be awesome to see what you think, especially with you having kids and passing on this beautiful gift to them as well. Mm. In the beginning of the plan, the whānau plan, you had to kind of say how and who benefits from this. So it started with my mum, has been part of the demand for the housing, then it's my generation, then our son, our children, the mukos, and then so straight away we've got five here, and that's not thinking about the generations to come. So for me, this is the dream, this is the moi moia, but this is also the tukuiho for me. Mm. But living here is, is, for me, I've hit the jackpot. <laughs> you know, I'm a man of leisure now. <laughs> um, I just dropped my kids off at babysitter one, two or three, you know, and for my wife too. We've just got so much more time to go out there and do what we really love and achieve what we really want to achieve now. So this yeah. is the bus driver. She takes all the kids to school, yeah. picks them up at three and brings them all back. Yeah. And then one of us will babysit, you know, if the other one can't. And then one of us will probably say, oh, yeah, we've, oh, Tanya won't be home tonight, so I've got to cook tea. We're not just whānau, we celebrate with our community too. Trevor and them, they're involved in waka'ama. They're managing some waka'ama on the team. So they've had bonding things at the pool team and building, sleepovers yeah. and, you know. And we've had our mum's 85th birthday. And so we've brought the family back here and, you know, put the gazebo up at the pool, drinks and that. And then one house, they eat at my house, sleep at Trevor's house, party at Tanya's house. <laughs> and, and here's the, the life party yeah, the babysitters over here, you know. <laughs> so when we have whānau, well, we make sure we have a parking space, they're all out there, yeah. But whānau continue wanting to come back. So it's not just about us here, but we become part of the community too. Is there anything else that you wanted to speak about the Papakainga or any tips that you wanted to give whānau or different people that are actually going through that process or wanting to go through the process of building the Papakainga? Well, our obstacles are really... Um... Paving stones now, son. <laughs> they were yeah. walls, they were brick walls. <laughs> They yeah. became hurdles and now they're paving stones. Yeah, mm. they're more like guidelines, really. Mm. They guide you to mm. sort it out. You can't get around it. you just got to sort it out. It's the only way. We weren't here to profit. We were here to establish ourselves and our connections to the whenua and to the community and wanted to give back, really. Our guest reporter today was Nazarene Mihaire. Indigenous Urbanism is a production of Tamatapehu. Sandy Wakefield does our sound recording, editing and mixing. Our theme was composed by Thomas Burton. I'm Jay Kake, your host and executive producer. For more information about today's show and other episodes of Indigenous Urbanism, go to indigenousurbanism.net. You can drop us a line at info at indigenousurbanism.net. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a review or rating on iTunes.
Coming up next on Indigenous Urbanism, we visit Rangiriri Pa, the site of a new symbolic reinterpretation developed in reverence to the original Pa footprint and as a setting for continued education about the Battle of Rangiriri and the subsequent invasion of the Waikato. It's a place where many of our ancestors stood in defiance of an imminent invasion by the Crown and basically made their sacrifices there. Rangiriri wasn't just a foothold that was held by Waikato Tainui alone. The second Māori king, King Tafio, he called on the allegiance of many iwi, all the iwi from around the mutu. And so Rangiriri is significant to many iwi who actually have ancestors that have actually died there. So Waikato, our role, we are merely the kaitiaki of that place to ensure that the significance of that particular site, the maori of that particular site, is retained at the highest level. 